Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Earlier in this same chapter from Matthew's Gospel, which is our text today, we hear the setting for the parable, which is our text. It's a confrontation, a confrontation between Jesus and his enemies. It is right after Jesus has ridden in messianic triumph into Jerusalem, right after he has banished the buyers and sellers from the temple, right after his word withered a fruitless fig tree. And when he entered the temple... The chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? That's a good question. A lot depends, you see, on the authority of Jesus. It makes a world of difference, after all, if he is really who he says he is, the eternal Son of God, in human flesh, come to reclaim for the Father what is properly his, or if he is just another man, making outrageous assertions which he cannot support. Jesus answers the question about his authority with his own question about John the Baptist and with another parable about two sons who said one thing and did another. And then with this powerful picture of the unscrupulous tenant farmers who defy the owner of the vineyard and face the inevitable consequences. So this parable, this story, is a sharp answer to the question about Jesus' authority. The people who heard Jesus speak this parable would, of course, as you do, hear the echoes of the vineyard song in Isaiah 5. The vineyard is the house of Israel, which despite the care and provision poured out by God, turned out to yield no good fruit. Something like the poor fig tree, perhaps. But Jesus does not simply repeat the image and the story from Isaiah. He adds details which draw us into the drama and force us to make some choices. Because now, you see, the vineyard is being managed by tenants. And the owner sends messengers, finally his own son, to collect what he has coming, to collect what is properly his. Well, it isn't hard to see where the chief priests and the elders to whom Jesus is speaking fit into the story. They are cast in the role of tenants, temporarily in charge of the vineyard, but accountable, accountable for delivering some fruit to the owner of the vineyard, who is God. And Jesus puts himself in the story, too. He's not a rival tenant vying for control. He's not even one of those prophetic messengers whom God the owner sent. He is uniquely the owner's son and heir. He comes then with the owner's full authority 
with all the divine rights and privileges of ownership. And when the tenants in the parable kill the son, their rejection of the owner who sent the son is final and absolute. It is no longer a matter of being delinquent with the rent. Now they are guilty of murder, of treachery, of attempting to defraud God of his own property. The story is perfectly crafted, and it can only end one way. Jesus doesn't even have to let the other shoe drop. What will the master do? What will the owner do? And even his hearers, cast as they are in the role of tenants, have to say he will come and put those wretches to a wretched end. Even Jesus' enemies know what must happen to those criminals. And they shrewdly perceive that Jesus is speaking this about them. Well, it's not really so shrewd after all. He does say, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. And us? What about us? Well, we shrewdly perceive that Jesus is speaking this parable about us too. He draws us into this perfectly crafted little parable. He draws us into his own perfect story. And he makes us a promise and he gives us a gift. We are the bystanders. We are the eavesdroppers. We are the crowd standing around, straining to hear this exchange, this confrontation between the leaders and Jesus. Like those chief priests, the story forces us to make a choice about Jesus and about ourselves. For the parable of the tenants does two things, at least. It pulls us in to insist that we get very clear who Jesus is. And then it turns our heads around so that we understand who we are because of our relationship with him. The story forces us to a choice about Jesus. It presses us to acknowledge his claim to be the Son of God. You see, the man who tells this story cannot be like any other man. These words, as C.S. Lewis explained, put Jesus in a category all his own. He meant them to do that. Unlike any other teacher, in his well-known book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool 
You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So far, my teacher, C.S. Lewis. That is the kind of clear choice about Jesus which is inescapable in this parable. His enemies had to either lock him up and kill him or fall at his feet and worship him. They killed him. We worship him and call him Lord and God and Savior. Because the story of the tenants is the story of our salvation. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But all who receive him are God's children. The owner's rejected, murdered son works life and forgiveness for us. That piece of rubble that was thrown away by the builders is now the capstone of God's new building. Against him, there is no hope. There's only one way this can end. With him, connected to him by faith, we who were once far away are now brought close. We are grafted into God's vine and made alive and fruitful. But that does not make us the owners of the vineyard. It makes us tenants. It makes us stewards, taking care of what belongs to God. This is very important for preachers and for future preachers, for leaders, human leaders in God's church. It's very common, very easy for us to speak about my congregation, my ministry. And I think we know what we mean by that. But we need to keep very clear who Jesus is, Son of God, Lord, Savior. And keeping that clear will help protect us from the temptation to claim ownership over the church, whose real owner is God. Because we are tempted, you see, to claim ownership as if the real owner were absent and we could do with this church what we like. Well, he's not absent. He is the risen and living Lord. And he is with us by his word and spirit. It's his church. It's his vineyard. And he expects fruit from it. He expects people to hear the word of Jesus and come to faith in him and live under him in his kingdom. And we are accountable to him. 
accountable to him when he draws us outsiders in and then honors us by letting us serve in his vineyard. Glory be to Jesus. Thanks be to God. Amen.